Welcome inside fans. You're on a Tuesday edition of Unlocking the Cage. I'm Ryan McKinnell in for the incomparable Jimmy Smith. Got our pal Andreas Hale along for the ride as my tag team partner. And today we discuss the scale controversy with UFC Vice President of Regulatory Affairs, Mark Ratner. And we recap UFC 274 with the one and only Irish Dragon, Paul Felton. One of the longest tenured men or women in all of combat sports. And I'm not just talking about MMA. I'm talking about boxing. I'm talking about all sides of the business. Currently, he serves as the vice president of regulatory affairs. He is a Hall of Famer in multiple arenas. He is the one and only Mark Ratner joining us on a Tuesday edition of Unlocking the Cage. Sir, thank you so much for giving us some some time on a Tuesday. Do you enjoy the fights this weekend? I did, and my pleasure, and and I thought you were talking about Layla Ali instead of Layla, but that's uh, another stuff. <laughs> well, you would. But, um, uh, you would, yes, you would uh, Mark. You I, would. You're I mean, a Hall of Famer. And then I watched Canelo, too, So after the on, on a video. So, yeah, it was a big night for combat sports. It was, and I would expect uh, nothing less from you, Mr. Ratner, being uh, uh, inundated with all things combat sports on a Saturday, which has been, Mark, I said it there, I made the joke about Layla, how many years in this sport, how many years have you been popping up and checking TVs and closed circuit feeds and phones and laptops in combat sports? It's got 40 years now? Well, probably, yeah. I mean, I started going to the fights, uh, to boxing um, in, in the early 60s. So I've been involved uh, watching combat sports, but uh, officially uh, as an inspector uh, with the commission in uh, mid-80s uh, right up to today. So uh, I've seen a lot of rounds, that's for sure. Mark, let's, let's kind of dive into it. Uh, we had a situation on the scale with Charles Oliveira, and this is one of those things where we've heard everything from oh, it's the scales or, you know, this is Charles' fault for missing weight. Can you kind of walk us through that day? And from your perspective, like, what is going on with these scales? Is it it really a scale situation or what happened? Well, first of all, let me say that uh, the official scale, which was the one they weighed in on Friday with with the Athletic Commission, with the Arizona Commission, uh, between 9 and 11 is when that weigh-in took place. Uh, 28 of the fighters made weight. So I, I am very, very sure there is nothing untoward on that scale. That that scale was accurate. And uh, uh, the uh, what people were talking about the night before, there is a scale where the fighters can come down and check their weight. Some fighters uh, want to change the scale from pounds to kilograms, which you can do. And I think that may have knocked it, and we don't have any proof of anything, but it may have knocked the scale out of calibration, the, the practice scale. And um, when we found out that there was a, a, a problem with the scale early on Friday morning, somewhere around 8 or 8.30, um, they got another scale that was calibrated and, and put it out there. So um, when the fighters first came down on Friday morning, they would go to the scale, and then they would know uh, – if there was, uh, if they were a little bit over, and they had a chance to uh, to lose the weight, I am not sure what time that Charles or his camp came down on Friday, but uh, he's saying that he uh, 
checked the weight on Thursday night, and um, he was fine. So, uh, but I, I can say uh, for sure that Friday there was nothing wrong with the, the official scale. So, Mark, I, we saw a lot of banter on social media, and obviously social media is not in the position that you're in. They're not an authoritative voice. We've seen people advocating for it. Let's get a digital scale. When people say stuff like that, I mean, is there any remedy to this? Or is it just, look, guys, it, Charles missed weight. It's on him. It's not on the scales. It's not changing digital scales. It's not going to fix the damn thing. Digital scale, sometimes you, you'll get uh, just this. I'd say tenths of ounces, not even tenths. It's uh, a pound is sixteen, uh, so sixteen ounces. So uh, you would hate to have a fight, say just a regular fight, and, and and the weight is supposed to be fifty-five, and you could weigh up to fifty-six, and on a digital scale you could weigh one fifty-six point two. Well, that doesn't make sense either. Uh, we've always used the meat scale. Uh, it's accurate. It's balanced. It's calibrated. So I have no problem using it, um, and, and we've been successful using it for the last, I don't know, 15 years, I guess, that I've been doing and it. And, Mark, we've also heard people say things like, well, this wouldn't happen in Vegas, or this wouldn't happen in L.A. Like, is, why do you think people say this? It, it, why, why do they come up with these things like, oh, it, would, it wouldn't happen in a different state? It, the scale is still the same. <laughs> exactly the same. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, the state of Nevada, they, they have the, the scale calibrated just as the state of Arizona or the state of New York or wherever we go. So, uh, uh, yeah, I feel bad because uh, we want everybody to make weight. There was, uh, I think, Norman Dumont and, uh, and Charles uh, did not make weight. And, um, you know, they were, they were less than a half pound off. And uh, it's a shame, but, um, that you know, we, we can't... Uh, can't change the rules, and uh, if a champion doesn't make weight, he vacates the title, and uh, and Charles will fight for the title again. Now, Mark, and we're here with Vice President of Regula- Regulatory Affairs of the UFC, Mark Ratner. Um, it was my understanding, it was referenced in the press conference by a media member that uh, the UFC kind of can do whatever they want with their belts. When Ayakinta missed weight against Khabib, I think he came in at 155.2. Dana had infamously, infamously said, hey, if Al wins this fight, he's the champ. We'll figure it out, right? Like, there, was there, is there an option for that? Is there, are you okay with that situation? What's your understanding as far as that goes? Uh, I, all that I remember about that fight was that um, I think that uh, Al took that fight with no notice. Uh, yep. And, uh, yeah, and basically, and we looking, yep. Yeah, and, 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 and went five rounds. Uh, my understanding, yeah. uh, I, I, I'm not even aware that Dana said that, but um, he made weight, Al, and, uh, and if he had won the fight, he would have been the title holder. Well, when we talk about uh, making weight or not making weight, listen, 155 and a half. We had Eve Edwards on Friday. Eve was like, yeah, I'm disappointed. We, I asked him through the context of his division because he's a pioneer in the lightweight division. You know, do right. you take it personally? He's like, yeah, you know, I was a little disappointed, but it was just half a pound. And then Andreas and I talked about, you know, like, listen, if he goes out there and he takes care of business, 
you know, in an authoritative way, which he did, Mark, then I don't think anyone is really not going to look at him as the lightweight champion. Andreas and I talked about it. We both think he's the lightweight champion. How impressed were you with Charles Oliveira's performance on Saturday night, Mark? Uh, I was, what really impressed me was that he really got hit hard and he went down twice yes. and, and, yes, and, and shook it off and, 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 and then submitted. Uh, I, I was, uh, I thought he was in, in big trouble and for him to get through that and still, uh, be able and have the wherewithal, uh, it was, it was unbelievable. And that submission, once he locked it in, uh, on, uh, on Gaethje, it was uh, it was quick, and uh, no, he is an unbelievable fighter. And uh, uh, right now, he is probably uh, either pound for pound or at least a, the number one middleweight by far. Uh, so we're Mark, here with you, lightweight. <laughs> Lightweight. We're here with UFC's Mark Ratner. Hey, you never know. You never know this sport. He's getting bigger. He's missing weight. Oliveira can be a middleweight. Uh, but no, listen, uh, I wanted to talk to you about the next man. Andreas and I just got done talking about him before you came on here to start our two. The newest inductee into the UFC Hall of Fame. Uh, Mark, you know him well. You've seen a lot of him. You've worked with him behind the scenes in many different capacities. Of course, I'm talking about Daniel Cormier, the two-division champ, one of the greatest fighters we've ever seen. Uh, Mark, I think the thing for me is, you know, expectations, uh, they can really be a double-edged sword, right? Like, obviously, they can get you ahead in the sport, and they can get you on some bills, and they can get you some big opponents early, but then there's a huge weight that comes with that. Daniel Cormier came into this sport with massive expectations, and not only did he deliver, Mark, he over-delivered. When you hear now Daniel Cormier, Hall of Famer, what goes through your head? What memories do you have? What do you think about the man? Uh Certainly, the most deserving. Uh, I'm, I'm very thrilled for him. And, and the other thrilling part for me is one of his best friends is Khabib, and they get to come in together. Yeah, I think that makes it so more, even more special. But uh, he is a tremendous fighter and a tremendous wrestler. And what I really like about him is he gives back to kids, and uh, he, he runs wrestling stuff uh, in a high school. Uh, what you probably don't know is he just got into the uh, last maybe three months ago into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame because he's an, a native Louisiana and uh, as a wrestler he's just uh, but all around just a great guy and uh, so deserving so I'm yeah thrilled for him. Mark, uh, awesome. the the thing that that sticks out to me is great guy. We've seen a lot of fighters and a lot of fighters deal with a lot of complicated matters in their lives. Some have controversial issues. Some have issues outside the cage. DC seems like one of the, the best men in this business. And how much does that lead into you know, him getting in the Hall of Fame? It's not just the accolades. It's that that individual is, could be an ambassador for this sport for years to come. Would you agree? Yes, very much so. Uh, he's a genuine good guy. And, um, and, and, and I'm really impressed how well he's become a broadcaster. Uh, he's, he's doing yeah. great there. Makes it fun to, uh, to watch the events and listen to the events. Um, but a very deserving and, uh, yeah, he'll be a goodwill ambassador, uh, as long as, uh, he, he's involved. Uh, he's just, uh, yeah, he's very special. All right. So I want to pivot away from the UFC real quick to Canelo Alvarez. We're going to, we're stick on the, 
subject of weight. Canelo Alvarez went to light heavyweight to challenge Dimitri Bivol. I don't know what your thoughts were heading into this fight, but when you watch the fight, is this a moment where you say, this is why we have weight classes in, in combat sports? Because it seemed like that tree was just a little bit too soft from the climb. Uh, I thought about that a little bit. Uh, when I watched the fight, the first four rounds, Canelo was, was really strong. He won all four rounds on, on all three judges' scorecards, score which uh, tells you that he was, he was dominant to start with. Then, I don't know if he got tired or not, but uh, what I knew about Bavall was that he had a good straight left jab. And that seemed to uh, seem to be the difference in the fight because he, he's not a one punch knockout guy, but he kept that jab on Canelo and uh, and he certainly turned the fight around. And uh, I think it was uh, 115, 113, so seven rounds to five. And uh, some people had it eight to four, but uh, he, he certainly won the fight. And uh, we'll be interested to see if there will be a rematch. I, I'm a Triple G fan. I would hate to see him lose out on his fight, but uh, that's another story. But uh, he's supposed to fight in September against Canelo, so that fight may or may not happen now. And and that's what I was going to lead into. The biggest loser in this whole situation seems to be Gennady Golovkin, who's been waiting what feels like an eternity for his third shot at Canelo. But Canelo is a guy who chases after greatness in the toughest challenges. He's already beat Gennady Golovkin once. Do you, do you see that this man could possibly fight Golovkin, or do you see Canelo being as competitive as he is? He wants to avenge that loss to Dimitri Bivol, and Gennady may never get that opportunity again because he is 40. Yeah, he is 40. Um, I would think, uh, and, and I, I don't know how match room or, or, or I don't even really know Canelo, but uh, seemingly he is very competitive and he'll want to have a rematch with Bivol. So it, it, it's interesting to see where the fight would be. And uh, once you're the uh, challenger of a champion, things are dictated different. So it all becomes a negotiation, too. And, Mark, this is my last one for you because <laughs> there no, seems fine. to be – No, because I'm very curious about this. Every time Canelo fights, there's a UFC pay-per-view. <laughs> like, every time. There's a major <laughs> UFC pay-per-view. And, I, I, like, the fact that you were able to watch this fight, did you, do you watch it the night of or do you wait till the day after? Because you got your hands full with the UFC, and Canelo always fights when there's a major pay-per-view. I watched it on Sunday, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but I, I have been uh, in, in, at the apex when some of these fights happen not on a major pay-per-view, but when we want to see big fights, uh, Dana gets it in, in, in our little room in the back. And so I've been able to watch fights uh, <clears throat> after our fights. So, uh, but uh, this one I, I watched uh, on Sunday. A true fan I like how he, of combat. I, I was going to say, I like how he prefaced after our fights are done. Of course, the one and only Mark Ratner, decades in the game, one of the best minds in combat sports. He is the vice president of regulatory affairs for the UFC. Mark, thanks so much for stopping by on a Tuesday and sharing your knowledge with us, man. You are uh, truly one of the gems in combat sports. Thank you, my friend. Well, no, thanks so much for having me. And uh, tell Jimmy hello for me, too. I like him a lot also. 
Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. The last man to defeat, well, he's not exactly the lightweight champion. Well, he is in most of your eyes, but he was victorious in the main event on Saturday against Justin Gaethje. Charles Oliveira, the last man to beat him. The Irish Dragon, Paul Felder, joining the show right now. Paul, uh, first of all, thank you so much for the time on a Tuesday. Uh, Secondly, I know you were none too happy about that missed weight uh, on Saturday from Oliveira. Uh, yeah, you know, well, a, a lot of, a lot of that too is breaking news and I, I hate weight misses. That's, that's pretty well known, right? Yeah. I, I think anybody that's really struggled to make weight in their career and, and really put everything into it knows that, you know, it, a lot of excuses get tossed around, but I know there was some, some controversy with a calibrated scale and all that kind of came out after the fact of when I did those tirades if you will of uh, being upset but I'm still I still think it was really foolish of him and I think he really only shot himself in the foot at the end of the day because he had an unbelievable performance and like you said he should yeah. be he should be the champion today we should have an without a doubt absolute lightweight champion who's been dominating and instead we have a number one contender so a lot of people came at me over this stuff you know oh you're calling him a disgrace. You haven't done half the stuff. He's, you know, a lot of the trolls are really coming out of the woodwork, but really I'm just upset for the division and upset for him himself. Uh, And and I do hate weight misses. I don't care if it's an ounce or whatever, you know, the championship weight is 155. And if you were on, on that digital scale and it was teetering, because I'm sure he knew that a lot of times it'll jump 155, 155.3, 155. And they'll say, Oh, you're good. Well, you can take what they say and be like, okay, that's the word of God. Or you can just be like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go sit in the sauna in the morning for like five minutes just to be safe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wonder how many of those trolls, Paul, are aware that uh, you, you've already beaten Oliveira. <laughs> Not that you, it's your job to inform them of that. It's just, uh, ah, the masses, the, the educated MMA masses out there, Irish Dragon. Yeah, I know. They're, they're some of the best. But you know what? There's a lot of people that agreed with me as well. <laughs> uh, may, maybe I shouldn't have been as aggressive with it as I was. I probably should have let, you know, let some of the other information come out before I got as upset. Um, but you know what? Well, At the end of the day, it, it, it was a miss, but it was a, still a, an insane performance. And it was an insane performance. There's no question. It was... Uh, I mean, first of all, it's Justin Gaethje. You eat the punches that Gaethje, you know, threw at him. Oliveira hit the ground multiple times, and he was still uh, able to find, uh, obviously, his back and choke him out. Just how, how imp- you know, weight cut aside and all that stuff, how impressed were you with that finish and the performance by Charles Oliveira? I, I think he's clearly the best lightweight that there is right now, and I, I mean that. I think out of everybody, I think even if he gets matched up with Islam and and people that can really wrestle. I think he's too dangerous everywhere right now. I think he'll be the champ again. Um, and I think he's he's got the skills to hold it for a long time. I and mean, we could see somebody 
that's got the ability to really reign over this division. I mean, he's, he's only been the champ for how long, even though, you know, again, we'll just assume that we, he did earn that belt. He just blew it on the scale, but he, I mean, he, he's, he's got like what the most finishes he's on the way to have some of the most fights. The kid's been fighting in the UFC since he was a kid basically. And now he's coming into that man body, right? You can see which, maybe he's got to start learning to adapt to because maybe now he is finally filling into that 155 pound division. Whereas before he still wanted to go to featherweight. He didn't want to fight at lightweight and all that, all that time he wasted wanting featherweight. Imagine how even more dominant he could have been at 55 if he had filled out earlier in his career. Paul, uh, First things first, uh, I loved you in Hacks. I love that show uh, and the fact that you were on. I love yes. this. I didn't mention that. Hacks yes. Great Shout out to uh, Hacks. So here, yeah. here's my question, because you now that you're on the analyst side, you get to look at fighters a little bit differently. Charles, and you fought Charles Oliveira. Have you seen any other fighter evolve as much as that man has over these past few years? Is there anything that you can compare it to? Man, it's pretty insane. Um, the leaps and bounds that he's made, right? Everybody kind of called him a quitter and all these things. People still are, which is, I don't think you'll ever hear anybody say that again about him. Um, my God, somebody that's evolved quite as dynamically as he has. I, I don't know. He he might really be a true standout of somebody that has, uh, I mean, I guess Moreno is another one that kind of rose from, from the depths a bit, but I think skill-wise, Charles has got everybody beat as far as not only did he make a comeback and a resurgence, but he's just so much more dangerous in every area than he ever was. So he's, um, he's something special for sure. And also with, with Oliveira, I mean, Daniel Cormier put him on his all time list for lightweights already. And it's really difficult to do that when somebody's in the middle of their run, right? But what does this performance tell you about Oliveira that we didn't know before? We've seen him come back from being put down against Chandler. We've seen him overcome that little adversity with Dustin Poirier. We've seen these things, but what did we learn different that we didn't know about Charles Oliveira before? Well, I I think his ability to quiet the noise around him for this was pretty remarkable, right? Because even though it wasn't a dramatic weight cut, right? It wasn't like he came in four pounds over or something like that. It was clearly a miscalculation and something went on and he wasn't able to adjust on the fly, but his ability to put that aside and stay focused, his, his mental fortitude, I think is what is really standing out after that last performance. Because like you said, we've seen him get dropped. We've seen him already have to kind of show that durability that was questioned of him before, but now, now, even with a weight miss, with losing the belt before the fight, it didn't deter him at all. He still went in there with a singular focus to get the job done and was able to do it. Even with guys like me yelling about him, critics criticizing or people, you know, yelling scandal of the scale and all this kind of BS, it doesn't matter. He was able to put that aside and just focus on winning the fight on Saturday. And I think that's, that's hard to do. The other thing that's hard to do is fight the style that Charles Oliveira fights. He's not very defensive-minded. He, he get, he's there to be hit, but he's just kind of, I can take your best and I'll find a way to beat you. How conducive is that to having a future in this sport? Because guys like Justin Gaethje have to kind of pull it back a little bit. 
Oliveira finds himself in trouble in damn near every fight and finds his way to pull himself out of it. Is, at, at some point, do you think it'll catch up to him? Or do you think there may be another evolution left in him? I said, well, he, I think he's going to have to look at that. I, I do think so, because I, it's, it's awesome now. And we're talking about how great he is now. But it's one of those things that 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 changes in the blink of an eye. And that's the difference between you recovering and you being face first on the canvas. You know what I mean? You can't wait around for that chin to go. You've got to try to adjust it while you still have the chin. And that's something we've got to see the, the, the future champion, in my opinion, figure out. Because he's taking these shots and he's shown his chin is, is, is holding up really well at this point in his career, but you don't want to rely on that. I think if he just focuses a bit on his boxing defense, he, he's even more dangerous. Or finding the clinch a little bit quicker. I think his coaches are going to get on him about standing in the pocket with Justin a little too long because once he got the clinch, his knees, his knees are looking more brutal than ever to the body. I, I'm surprised some of them haven't put down him or Poirier in the last fight because if you go back and watch these fights, he is absolutely digging those knees straight into your body. I mean, they're not like little, you know, along the cage, little pop shot feelers. He's, he's driving his body into every one of those shots. So I think if he can just avoid the big shots on his way in there, man. Cause what, what are you going to do? Take him down? Exactly. <laughs> good luck. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck. Infamous words there from the Irish dragon. Paul Felder joining us on a Tuesday edition of unlocking the cage. Paul, I'm curious, man. I mentioned it when I led you in here. Uh, you are the last man to beat Charles Oliveira. And I know you're doing so many things. Dre brought up the great HBO series hacks, which you had a part on and It is a great series coming back for season two here. Uh, shortly, obviously you have your, uh, your, your duties with the UFC, your analyst work. You are a busy man, but man, I just, I know it's been since what, like 2020 since we've seen you fight. And, and I, I know you've, it is what it is, but you are the last man to beat Oliveira. What's it like for you watching on a Saturday night and seeing Oliveira come away victorious? Does it make you think, does it, does it create an itch? Like what's your view? What's a Paul Felder view of a fight like that on Saturday night in terms you of know, the fighter yourself? It's, it's funny because it was such a, um, a contrast in lifestyles. You got Charles who I it was, you know, the, I was the last opponent to take him out and I'm in Disney world yeah. with the family for my daughter's <laughs> birthday, but it was late. So I'm in the hotel watching my former <laughs> foe dominate the division uh, yeah. that I fought in, but I, I'm content, man. I mean, I truly don't watch him with jealousy. And I know a lot of the Brazilian fans are coming at me thinking that's where my criticism came from. But it couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, we met in 2017, and our careers went in very different directions. He's now the champion, but I've got this awesome job that I love doing with the UFC. It's opening up windows like hacks, and season two is on its way out. By the way, I'm in the first episode. Please check it out if you're a UFC fan. I think you'll like it. Um, hey. Hey, no yeah, a little plug there. And, uh, you know, I'm doing the triathlon thing, so my competitive edge is really being uh, scratched. So I, I, the only thing I get truly is when I see somebody like him fight and somebody that anybody that inspires me that's just killing the game, it makes me miss going and training. Like I already hit up some coaches here in Philly. 
I start scheduling training sessions, even if I don't end up following through on some of them. I'm like, I got to come in. I got to hit some stuff. So uh, I think tomorrow I, yeah. it works out for my schedule that I think tomorrow I'm going to go in. I'm going to watch Sean Brady and those guys train and I'm going to hit some pads. And I just want to be in the gym. It makes me miss that atmosphere. I know how highly you think of Sean Brady and that man. Uh, yeah, he's got some power. Uh, listen, man, I we've been talking plenty about the lightweight division, but what about that co-main event? Um, it was obviously not an exciting fight. We all know this. I'm not breaking new ground, right? But there is nuance to fighting, right? There are levels to this game, and that is the highest level. Uh, I don't want to be too critical. A boring fight is a boring fight, but those things happen sometimes when you get the best in the world. What was your takeaway from a uh, lackluster? I'll use that word, co-main event. Yeah, right. I mean, that is the term because it's tough to and, – and I see where everybody's coming from. Everybody, Some people are going right at them. Other people are trying to be more respectful and tiptoe around. I mean, the fight sucked. Um, they know it. Yep. They know that the fight sucked. And I think the sooner they just embrace that, I think Carla's kind of embracing it a little bit uh, more so than, than Rose. I think Rose is just, I think she's so used to being able to go out there. And Michael Chiesa said this on our little uh, podcast we did today for Roundup that he's like, I think when you start to just have these battles and you, or you're taking people out, that when you go in there, you kind of expect it to just happen. And I think she's just caught, caught up being too defensive. And there's a difference between a slow fight and just not, nobody really winning in my opinion i mean some I, I compared it to like a soccer game if both teams are battling back and forth and nobody <laughs> scores nobody wins i mean it's a tie and i think this is one of those cases yeah. where we just at the end of yeah. the day should have been like you know what nah neither one of you paul i want to follow with this because <laughs> nah. you have a fight you have a fight that happens like this now obviously rose lost to carla years ago and now she's the champion in that situation Who's to blame for how this fight played out? Is it Rose or is it Carla? Because I think, I, I don't know where you're going to go with this, but we, I think we all knew what Carla was going to do. I think we were more surprised what Rose didn't do. Yeah, that, that's what surprised me. I mean, we were talking about it today, too. It's just, where were the front kicks up the middle? Like, uppercuts could have been a little bit more. And you showed that you're possibly even the better grappler and were able to get back up to your feet several times. So it's not as if you were so worried about being dragged down and held there for round after round. You showed that even if she does catch you, that you've got the skills and the athleticism to get back up. I think she just needed to throw more volume. And I think she would have won that fight. I, I, I mean, even if it was just following up jab, jab, a few uppercuts, go back to the jab, throw a few front kicks up the middle this way. Even if she does shoot, it's up the middle and not around the side, but, and again, I don't want to, I mean, she's, she's a beast and I think she'll be back. Uh, and I think she has the ability to get that belt back. And I know some people think that she won as well, but again, it was one of those things where, and even the commentators were touching on it. It's like, you can't, no, nobody can be upset in this one. When you leave it that close, not, that's not only leaving it to the judges, that's really right. leaving it close. You, I've been in fights like that where you just got to go, all right, this is going to one of us, but either way, I can't be upset. We're here with Irish Dragon, Paul Felder, breaking down UFC 274. Uh, Paul, let's go back to the division you know very well, lightweight. Obviously, two of the most exciting to ever compete. You know them well. 
Mike Chandler, Tony Ferguson, Michael Chandler coming out and, and really, uh, really just putting a highlight reel on Tony Ferguson. There's no other way to, to describe it. Right. But Tony looked really solid up until that point, up until that point, excuse me, what did you make of Chandler's finish? And then also uh, to the second part of that, what did you think of Tony to start? Well, I, I thought the old Tony's back. I thought, damn, he got in there. He yeah. got that round under his belt. Yeah. He looked really good for it. He hurt Michael. He looked crazy. Tony off of his back, throwing up submission attempts, crazy elbows, cutting him open. He's bleeding. I thought, all right, round two, this fight's just getting started. This is Tony Ferguson's world here again. <laughs> Michael Chandler showed why he is probably one of the craziest, most exciting guys to watch on the roster, on any roster, really, um, because – he made that read. I mean, he even said it. That That's not something – you don't see those guys down there at Stanford right. throwing those kind of kicks all the time. That was something he was like, man, he's wide open down the middle. Let me just punt this kick in there. So he, he showed that his ability to stay loose in there and live in the moment as a fighter is something that makes him really special. And then I also learned that the man can do some serious backflips um, even when tired. <laughs> he can do that and the man can cut a serious promo yeah. calling out Oliveira well the winner of Oliveira Gaethje and then also calling out Conor McGregor what do you want to see next for, for both of those men Oliveira and Chandler basically what would the Irish Dragon do with the lightweight division we'll leave you on that yeah I mean if I, if I could have the perfect world I'd probably have Oliveira uh fight Islam or have him sit on the shelf for a little bit if he wanted to and take a break and have uh, all of, I mean, excuse me, have Benil and Islam fight if that's still something the UFC wants to do. If not, I think throwing him in with Islam is justified. I think that's a fight we can make. And for Chandler, I think either Conor McGregor or Nate Diaz. Give this man, you know, you got to reward him for a performance like that. And I think yes. those fights are yes. something you can make a lot of money off of. I think it's going to sell for the UFC. I think they can promote the living crap out of him with either a Diaz fight or a McGregor fight. Uh, Connor seems super interested in it potentially. So I mean, that's what I'd like to see. Paul, is Connor McGregor going to be ready for a fight with Michael Chandler in his first fight back coming back from an injury like that? Like, I don't know if Connor I wants that smoke. I don't know either, right? That's the thing. We don't know what Connor wants because he's so good about wanting everything. I mean, he wanted Diego Sanchez at one yeah. point. That's how much he just wants to fight <laughs> anybody. But we know at the end of the day that's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. a smarter option for uh, Connor is probably, you know, taking on a Gaethje who's going to stand with him. He's going to bring him that fight, but he's so good at countering and flipping back. It Well, at least old Connor was. We'll see if he can get back to that form. Um, but that's sure. a fun fight. Gaethje really doesn't have a say in the matter at this point, right? Coming off of uh, that loss, he's going to have to get back to the drawing board. And what better place to jump right back in, uh, on that wagon than to take on a guy like McGregor, who he's had a lot of choice words for over the years. This is an opportunity to redeem himself and kind of take out a huge megastar. Well said there. Words from the Irish Dragon, Paul Felder. Paul, thanks for, so much for giving us some time on a Tuesday, man. You're one of the best of the game. We always appreciate the insight. 
Oh, thanks for having me on, man. Anytime. Just hit me up. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. And SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. Serious XM Podcasts.